Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Off the bat, hole part hole. What's your understanding of it and what are your thoughts on it as a whole? So it's an interesting one. Um, I'll try and answer it as simple as I can. But of course, there are different uh, interpretations. I think that's something we should address first, right? There's different ways that you can you can do it. I mean, typically, I've seen it when and done this myself where we've used whole part whole, but the part hasn't been predetermined. So we've planned the session per se in terms of the session intention, so what we want to go after. And we've started within a game. Uh, and it could be the larger game or it could be a medium-sized game or even a small-sided game. But we've started with a game or a rival activity. We're playing that whole part of the concept. Um, and then, obviously, based on whatever our observations were within that, then we've decided and, and in some cases, co-designed with the players off the cuff, if you like, you know, live, what that part practice could look like based on the observations in the activity and then finishing off going back into the original part. Uh, sorry, the original all at the end. 
that's something useful, you know, if you're trying to develop your ability to, to work on the fly. Um, and obviously, if you've got some good experience, I think within the context of the UEFA C, it's a bit more pre-planned and that's okay as well. So I've seen, again, different interpretations. Is it the whole as in the whole skill? And that's another topic for debate. Or is it the whole as in viewing the game? So you're starting with a game, you're going into a, a part practice, a part practice of that bigger focus. So if it's we're trying to really work on our players on, on, on playing forward against a press or we're trying to work on our players finishing the attack, We've, we've got a game where there's certain constraints and conditions that we're doing. Um, and then the part practice could be a, 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 a smaller activity where there's little 3v1s, 2v1s, 3v2s, directional wave practice where the players are in a, a smaller version, heightened, in that bigger game, if you like, to then put them back into the game where you end in the 6v6 or the 7v7 or whatever your, your numbers are. Um, there's different ways to do it, but the main focus is that you're creating the problems that you want the players to try and uh, discover, and you're constantly playing throughout. You know, so it's a really useful methodology, and I would encourage it across the board, regardless, because there's a lot of coaches that said when I was coming through, "Oh, it's great if you only have an hour. It's great if you have 90 minutes. It's great if you have two hours. It's a really useful method." Because the longer you have, there could be multiple parts within the bigger picture. And again, it's just a great way of keeping the players playing throughout the session. So it's less choppy. And for the players, they just think they've played games, right? So it's, it's is it a more enjoyable experience? And if anyone's familiar with Amanda Vizek, fun maps, what makes playing soccer, what makes playing football fun? Um, fun maps, it's a, it's a great resource that, heightens the fact that you know whole part whole as a as a methodology um is a really useful one because players want to play games they want to get challenges they want to play games within games they want to learn to develop the skills um they want to be asked questions they want to get feedback from their peers um sometimes they find their peer-to-peer learning more valuable than if they get praise from a mate but if they hear it from a teammate or even the opposition who says, hey, great work there or whatever it may be, um, and they give them that feedback, that's more powerful. And the fact that they're playing in games versus drills, and that's come from several studies that have looked into, well, what makes playing fun fun, um, and that theory. So, yeah, just thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot in there, and I think you know, just even you know, like you said, the different interpretations of what whole part whole is, and I think even just linking into what you said around, you know, this is part of the series around the B the UA, preparing for UEFA C license more specifically, but this is obviously um, a, a method and I guess an approach which could be used for coaches across any part of the game, and I think for me, the way I look at it is this: um, the whole is literally just going into a game breaking up based on what you've identified as a, as a need for the players within it and then putting it back into the game to see whether the support that you've given them within the part element has any, has had any impact in, to, to what extent. However, I'm also of the mind that actually with a whole part, whole approach, actually, it's probably, in my opinion, um, one of the most skillful approaches, if done correctly. And what I mean by that is... 
like you, you know, you refer to the idea of it sometimes being predetermined. And I actually think in order for the whole part whole to be truly beneficial and efficient and effective to its maximal capacity, if you like, um, that part can't be determined. Uh, though you might have an idea of what you want to work on, but fundamentally that first whole whole piece that you're putting them into is an opportunity for them to explore um, the, you know, the, the, the game itself and you for you to kind of just really observe on the needs and the individuals in that moment. Now, I think danger you have if you go in there with a predetermined idea of what you want to work on and then you, you know, you've realised for whatever reason, actually that first observation in the whole part isn't actually marrying up to what you had planned or more specifically what you had planned was maybe directed to a few key players which actually haven't been shown up on the night so what you know what else can you observe and what parts can you have up your sleeve if you like ready to go off the back of the observations you made um are you you know are you fundamentally prepared for that how well do you understand the game to the point where you can observe these things and have the ideas in your back of your mind or some pictures in your head in terms of what your part might need to look like or at least if you don't know what the part's going to look like, you know what key messages need to be addressed. I mean, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but if we just have a idea of whole part, whole quite a skillful approach. Yeah, I think, can you hear me okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, it's a little bit of background noise, but just about. Perfect. Okay, yeah, sorry. I know it was choppy for a period. I think you've you've made some really interesting points, and one thing that just stood out to me was the the ability to use it as a method to help players understand the game and develop their knowledge in game. They're learning in game versus on game is is really key. And what I mean by that is we're not necessarily you know designing practice activities or training environments where they're having to reciprocate what the right answers are. Right, almost like it's bingo. A bit like when we ask them guided questions, we say, hey, what? give me some. What are some of the things we need to think about when we're defending? They say, oh, uh, triggers to press, oh, a bad touch, or whatever. Well, to me, that's that's low-level thinking. That's, that's recall. They're just regurgitating information. We're not developing an understanding of why or the relation to a game. So instead of developing answers, you know, utilising a, a whole part, whole approach as one method, could actually ensure that the players are playing for longer within the activity. They're getting more meaningful repetitions, but repetition without repetition. So they're all, so again, if we think about how learning works and how to make learning stick, they're getting varied experiences because of the different activities and the, the activity structure within the session. They're playing, so they're more likely playing games or games within games, which means then it's more realistic. And you're interleaving information. So it's becoming that they're actually developing their learning in the game. They're playing the game and they're learning in the game. They're becoming more game responsive. And there's no, it's not an accident that this method has been around for a while. It's great to see that it's come back in within the UEFA-C. You know, me and you were talking about this, Yasu, the other day, where we were talking about the our journey, right? So we went on the old level two. And it's not to say anything's right or wrong, but the old level two was technique, skill, game. So it was what would be now deemed within the new UEFA-C criteria is up the steps. So more of a progressive model where we're starting unopposed and then we're building to more complexity or pressure and then opposed practice into a game, right? Whereas now it's actually, can we, can we create an environment where they're playing more 
And I think at the grassroots level, I mean, this is a method that I've used even with academy players and senior players. But at the grassroots level, I think it's incredibly powerful. Why? Because, uh, and this is just, you know, my, my perspective on this, it, poten it potentially avoids the conflict of coaches prescribing solutions and breaking down perhaps poorly technique and what good technique looks like and giving the wrong technical or tactical information that could do more damage. And it's interesting. So in the US, we've, we brought in in 2018, I was part of that instructional team, uh, the educated staff within US soccer of play, practice, play. And that was slightly different. And it's a, another alternative to whole part whole. So it's not reworded and reinventing the wheel. The play part wasn't uh, play one wasn't necessarily the large game. It was actually smaller games. So it could be two v twos, could be three v three, could be four v fours. It could be multiple little mini fields, and they're playing. But there's intentional free play, meaning that the coach doesn't stop the practice. You can ask questions, you can give feedback, but you do not stop the practice. You because you can't stop a real game. There's no timeouts in the real game. You can't just walk onto the field and freeze it. So it's let them play and it challenges the coach to actually spend more time observing and listening. So to your point, Yaz, where it's, you were saying, hey, if this is done correctly, this is actually really powerful. Yes, it is, because it, the whole job of a coach, which we're not always good at, is observing. So if we spend more time observing and actually we will probably see that the players can get by without us more than we think. They're playing and they're, they're performing these actions and decisions and they're doing okay without us. You know, prime example, I'm watching a game today and parents are coached from the sideline. I've had a word. And instantly, the players were doing almost better, I'd say, without the, the, the commentary from the side of what to do. And they were getting by just fine. That tells me they can play. They can play. Then our job is, how do we use skillful prompts to guide them? And how do we simplify it for them and, and scaffold the learning within the session, right? And, and that's where I think whole part whole or play, practice, play. Because the last play phase in play, practice, play was the bigger game. So you, it, it allows them to, to connect the learning messages. Um, and just one last thing for me is when we're doing these things, I think we do have to have a consideration always for who's in front of us. So what's the, who's it? Sorry for that. Who's the individual in front of us? But we should really be having a consideration for what does their game look like? What does their game look like? So if they're playing 7v7 and that's their largest sided game, then the whole, in the, if we were to view the whole as, you know, by your definition, the game, then that's the 7v7. So anything else is smaller. Whereas I think, you know, if the 4v4 and you're working with U8, right? Well, that's the max they should be, that's their max format. If it's 9v9, that's their max format. So they're already... People talk about small-sided games, but they need to forget that what's... The, they often forget what's their largest number. So they're, they're not playing 11v11. So their biggest format is 9v9. That's the highest of complexity for them, if they're U12 or whatever, unless they're playing 11v11 up early. So then how do you scaffold it and simplify it for the players? And that's where hole pat hole or whatever method is useful. There's a lot in there, and I just want to kind of really pick up on one key thing. Um, and it just reminded me, you know, coming off the back of delivering 
both the UEFA C, the UEFA B, and then going into another UEFA C this weekend, some of the key things that have come up as like, I guess, a comment or a question is how do I get better at observing? Because I feel like I'm not able to see things when they're happening, and I only realise after the match, after the matter. So you know, just addressing that, what, what would your advice be to coaches thinking about that? Yeah, just be really intentional beforehand. So we often talk about like how do you train your eye, right? Well, how can you be more purposeful? in your observation, instead of trying to see everything and see nothing, why not just suggest, right, today I'm only looking at and I'm going to measure if it's we're struggling at uh, playing forward, we often, it breaks down. We don't do very well at that. and We're, we're forcing the passes. I'm going to look at purely who are the primary players involved in that build-up of the attack and how well do we break the line and what leads to a successful pass beyond, like how are we measuring it? Is it a pass that goes beyond a certain area and is that success? And then start to just hone in on that or if it's, you know, if you're looking at the core moves as an example with the structure, you're just heightening what maybe perhaps one core move and that's what you're looking for or that one principle versus trying to see everything because I think in the game it's very easy to go, but the ball's over there now and we need to get better at corners. And by the way, the ball's over there, so now we need to get better at crossing and finishing. Oh, we're not very good at that. So when the ball loses it, we're, well, the danger now is you're trying to see everything. You're trying to correct everything. And that would be... And Tony mentioned, Tony used that phrase um, on a previous space, didn't you, Tony? You said skillful neglect, right? Where he was referring to, you know, being purposeful in I can delay that for another day. And I think that's where we need to have that mindset of for observation, just try to focus on what is it you want to see and just focus on that one thing and you'll see more detail, if anything, and try to notice how do the players interpret the problem. So even at the simplest level, at the grassroots level where this licence sits, if it's that dribbling action or if it's that first touch, well, what makes a good first touch? What makes a good dribble? What do you start to notice as they're making these actions? What are the players doing? And then you can start to, to learn through their interactions It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the thing is, that the, you know, their interactions with the game are going to be so subjective based on their perceptions of what they're seeing. And I think it's really important, you know, and I've been using this phrase a lot recently, right? That we're observing the game through their, right, throughout, well, through their experiences and not our own eyes because we need to understand what that perception looks like for them. And especially when we're now breaking it down and isolating what, what the part might look like within this whole part, whole process. Mm -hmm. Well, is that a problem for them or is that just a problem we're considering? And then I think... For those that are preparing for the UFC, like anyone who's even above that at this point in time beyond their journey, is how much time is being spent looking at what's happening exactly around or on the ball itself and how much of an influence it has around around that and what actually is going on around that has a direct influence of what could happen on it. You know, and I, and I could just think of an example of where quite simply a player is, you know, on the ball, they're perceived to have been spending too much time on the ball, then have lost possession of the ball. But actually, the coach is looking at the player on the ball saying, well, you've taken too long, you've taken too many touches and not actually taking the eyes away from the player on the ball to recognise that actually no one else has created an option for that player to do anything else other than hold on to the ball. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And I like the, the first bit of what you're saying where it's always seeing it through our eyes or their experiences. And again, this just reiterates the importance of why are we creating these environments in the first place or this practice structure? It's to help meet the needs of the individual and, and tap into what do they see. 
and we've got to recognise what experiences have they had. Um, and, and I think that goes into the sort of philosophy, if you like, of coaching, because we often can struggle to, you know, we try and fix everything and we, we're very judgy, we're very critical of players and their performances. But actually, you just hit the nail on the head in terms of their experiences. What if that's the first time they've seen that scenario? They've never seen it before. They've never practised it. How often have we ever worked on that in practice? Probably never. You know, I give one example, like a drop, it sounds a bit random, but a drop ball. And the players never knew what to do because it was the first time they'd ever experienced a drop ball. Didn't know what to do. We end up conceding a goal on it. You know, you can give feedback, but ultimately it's like, well, what experiences have they had? What's their training age? What's their playing age? So, and, and also sometimes a lot of these mistakes, are they mistakes or are they a mistake? You know, meaning that they know and it's just a, it was just poor at that time. But, it's, you know, it's how you're joining it up with this methodology. Because I think going back to the observation, how are we viewing that action? And if we're only looking for a certain lens of error correction, meaning we're fixing mistakes, which is part of the coaching job for sure. We're trying to reduce, we're trying to reduce mistakes. We're trying to improve performance. We're trying to reduce the performance gap. We're always trying to improve things. But actually, you know, can we look through other lenses? Perhaps you know. I do want to pick up on something that's just been put in the chat, Yaz, before you jump in. So Tony's just put something really cool, uh, I think. And Natasha, so Natasha just put, sometimes it's hard to keep the focus on one thing and unfold it when observing. You might get carried away an overcoach, which leads to joysticking instead of helping them find a solution on a specific hurdle. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's a potential danger as well. There's always a trade-off to everything we do. But I would I would suggest that we're, we're obviously to the point we're not here to joystick. It's if we're observing out of possession as an example, and we're observing, okay, what are their actions when we lose the ball? I'm mainly focusing on when we lose the ball. What's our reaction to go stop the opposition from playing forward and, and try and win it back? Well, that's what I'm going to look at. Now, I think that's okay to then say, all right, what are my key messages here? What does good look like? What does great look like? What does uh, not so good look like? Because what we should be doing then is is going, um, okay, how can I limit my interventions? It might only be two or three. So you've got two or three messages max to provide feedback. And that's and that way you're not overcoaching. I don't know if there's anything else you would ask differently or or the same or how you'd, how you'd respond to that question, Diaz, before we go to Tony. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about it, and I think the only way you can, you're like you said, the trade-offs of everything, right? And I, I guess the question that came out for me just as you were speaking there, and just off the back of the comment, is how do you approach coaching the initial hole to the back end hole? Is there a, is there a fundamental difference for you? Do you just literally leave the first hole um, just as an observation piece, um, and then begin to coach it? in the part and then you go back to just doing observations I mean what, what what's your ideas and your thoughts around how it should be coached if at all in any way shape or form repeat that again for me just broke up repeat that last bit yeah just wondering that you know your thoughts and how you think that that maybe the session should be coached if it is a whole part whole do you are you are you of the mind that maybe the both whole parts should be just observational pieces 
Would they be well, I think you're. I think you're observing front, aren't you? But what I do believe is that in the in the hall, we should be allowing more intentional feedback. Uh, sorry, intentional free play. So we, we we should try to avoid to stop it unless there's an absolute need to get a message across that's going to benefit the whole group. Um, or even if there is one for an individual, normally individual, I'd say if you can try and do it individually, but, but I would say this is something that we did really well with your soccer was, and even to Tony's point, Tony's put a great point in the chat. And this is something that we address on the courses with your soccer. They do a brilliant job of it. Coaches want to manage the whole game, right? Because of control. Often not like we feel if we're not managing the game and there's a lot going on, we've got to do subs, we've got to do the practice, we're managing the minutes in an activity, we're managing when the next progression comes, we're, we're, we're doing a lot. But actually a lot of it, if we, if we plan well, a lot of it takes care of itself. And I'll give one really simple thing that changed it for me and will change it for other coaches because, again, this is at the grassroots level and we do this over here and everyone's human. So I don't believe that grassroots coaches in the US or, you know, I've worked in Norway and other places are necessarily better or worse than coaches in the UK. Um, I would say that actually these guys, um, when, when, you, when you're in that situation, having the, the ability to allow players to, to make decisions by designing an activity that doesn't require the coach to make every decision, that's a game changer. So if you're always having to feed the ball in, or you're always commentating on next action, now, Yaz, 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 your team's go. Blues, Blues, you should be playing now, or Reds, Reds, now. Well, the problem then is that it's not a self-regulating activity. So if you want to develop self-regulating players, we want to develop self-learners, we need to design activities that allow for self-regulation. That then removes some of the issue of the coach feeling like they have to manage and control everything, like the feed of the ball or the when this, that. Explain an activity, explain the rules, step back, and let's see if they can do it. And they and more often than not, they actually can. And that, that's one of the biggest takeaways I, I saw from teaching the new UAFC, but also the, the play practice playing the stuff over here in the US, is that coaches, it's like a big light bulb moment because it goes against everything they believe in or that the felt has existed. It literally like messes up with the head because they're like, this shouldn't be working now. I'm against this, but I'm studying. The kids are getting on just fine and they're running the activity. And, I, and it's almost like making them feel, am I needed? And yes, you are, but not to the degree that you think you are. And that would be my way of you know answering all that stuff. Awesome. Gerard, obviously, just, you know, Conscious is part of the CPD series that we're running. So maybe just giving a brief bit of insight to the coaches in the call now and those maybe listening back to it later, how they can access those CPD hours. Yeah, so we're going to share a link, which we've used before. For anyone who's interested in gaining those FA CPD points, that it'll be a self-reflection form via a Google Doc. You'll input your name. Make sure you, you input the right uh, fan number if you're with the FA, because that's important and your email. And once you've done that, you just complete a reflection. It normally takes about two to three minutes to complete the form. And it's normally the hot stuff that's, it's not necessarily a deep reflection unless you spent ages on it to submit. Um, it's more, a, well, what are the, what's the big things that have stood out to you? And we use a, a triangle circle square method. 
of reflection. And you can use this with your players. You could draw this on a whiteboard with your players as well. This is another little useful tip. And you could almost use that in between the the transitions. If you're talking about whole part whole, could that be a structure? And you use that in the transitions between each activity. So triangle is what are the three key, up to three key takeaways for you that you've took away. Circle, what's still swirling around? You're not sure. You've got questions on. Square is what's made sense. It's squared off for you. And you can write all three or you can just pick one of those shapes and, again, fill that in and, and you're good to go. And then, Yaz, do you want to confirm the deadline for all that to, to get submitted by? Yes, it's a, it's a quick turnaround on this one. The deadline is actually tonight at midnight. Um, but, but within that, it's also worth mentioning that we've run four different conversations on these spaces for the past four weeks. So you can actually go back if you've got the time to... Listen to those ones. You can fill in self-reflection forms for those ones. You can get yourself up to four hours CPD um, if that's done by midnight. And then once those hours get processed, um, please bear with us. It takes about three to four weeks um, should reflect on your fans. And if there's any issues after that point, um, you can come back to us and, let, and I, can, I can follow up. But um... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Deadline is tonight, midnight, 28th of, oh, officially the 29th, wouldn't it be, um, of January, but... Coming back on topic, then, Jordan. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking out loud now. Whole part, whole. Some of the things that might, some of the coaches in the room might be thinking as well. Is it the best approach? Is it the worst approach? When should I use it? How often should I use it? And where does it fit in with all the other types of practice or session delivery approaches that exist? Yeah. So I don't think it's. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a approach. Um, I definitely like it. And the more I think about it, a lot of the sessions I used to do before even in the academy game, and then certainly coming over here, and even stuff I did in Morocco, and that was working with um, elite youth internationals. And probably it was a lot of like whole part, whole play, practice, play. They'd have arrival activities as they came in. There'd be a part activity that you, you, you're working on that's linked to obviously the overall objective, the overall goal of the session, the session objective or the intention, whatever you want to call it. And then we'd finish with a bigger version of that as well. So I think personally, I think it's one of the more effective methods um, because it, can, it ensures that they're playing. So if we talk about ball rolling time and we talk about active learning time, it's probably going to help coaches to ensure that the kids aren't stood around waiting for instruction, waiting for a go. It's ensuring that they're getting more play, right, which is only a benefit. And it comes back to, you know, where does the course sit? I think it's a method that can be used across any domain, um, and it's very useful, and I've probably got a bias towards it. And it's not to say others are bad because everything has its place. Um, but for the grassroots game, I think this is essential because we've only got these kids for, and I'll say it like this, we've only got these kids for a limited amount of time limited if you took a session and let's say you know you're practicing two times a week right max or maybe three whatever 
two times a week and your session 60 minutes or 90 minutes if, if you're lucky. Um, I'm not even going to get into the old area size and how much field you've got available and things like that because that's another debate, another you know constraint. But if you've got those 90 minutes or the 60 minutes, how good are you at breaking that down? So even some of the best coaches that I've seen that are very good with the time management, very good with um, you know session interventions, and you'll have seen this, Yaz, you know, they've probably took X amount of minutes to talk. They've wasted minutes at the beginning. They've wasted minutes on drinks, if they even do it well enough and frequent enough, which we never do. Often the kids actually end up training for ages and they hardly ever get a drink because <laughs> coaches just throw it in every now and then. How long have you coached for? So often a lot of coaches will plan and they'll go, right, hole per hole, let's say, fit, we're going to do 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, or 15, 15, 15. Okay, that's great. But then how much of that is factoring in you stopping the practice and talking to the players? And for how long? Is your information going to be terminal, meaning at the end, or is it going to be concurrent, meaning during uh, play? How much of that factors in transitions between one activity and the next? And what tends to happen, I've done the data, I mean, I've analysed loads of sessions, and more often than not, the play is significantly less. So if you took an average 60-minute session, some might only be playing for, even some of the better ones, which is poor, around 20 minutes or less. That's criminal, because now you think that's that's in total. Then if you were to break that down per player, you know, if my child is out there, my child's got five minutes of that in total, seven, eight minutes max. And of that, how much was really meaningful repetition? They got a little bit in that 1v1 drill or whatever. And then next week, the coach pulled them out, gave them some feedback and then changed it. They didn't get to practice again because he spent four minutes talking and then he mixed the players around and then that was it. So I think for us, it's it's just going back to, again, what's the objective? Can we ensure that we're keeping the environment where they're getting as much play as possible? Um, don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Yaz, before. You know, it'd be great to open up people's thoughts on this in terms of, you know, what they agree with or any, you know, we've had some great comments in the chat, anything that they'd challenge or even questions, but I don't know if you've got anything on that as well. Yeah, I think for me, it's just, it takes my mind to two different parts, actually. First of all, it's recognising you're absolutely spot on. You know, you've got that 60 minutes, but how much of that 60 minutes is actually being used effectively and efficiently, right? Um, I'm of the belief that we don't need to schedule drinks breaks in because guess what? If people are thirsty enough, they're going to go and get a drink eventually anyway. So I think just making it clear that if they want to get a drink, go and get one whenever you're ready. And I think that in itself is another learning opportunity for the players that are still on the pitch. It might even be a challenge for those players in recognising actually, yeah, you might need a drink, but do you really need one right now when your team needs you? And what are the consequences of that? When might you go ahead and get that drink if you're going to go and get it? And I think the second part is, I think the importance is of maybe planning your interventions. What do they look like? What are the pictures you're going to step in on if at all you've got them in your mind? And what does that intervention then even look like? Is it a stop, stand, still, command style, instruction-based type of uh, type of intervention? Is it actually, I'm going to allow them to play a little bit more because I've only got 60 minutes. I'm going to try and do a lot, majority of my coaching um, in a drive-by fashion, I might ask a few questions here and there. I might pull players out individually, but then also recognizing, okay, well, you, if you if you're you know if you're wanting to use that stop stand still type of intervention, maybe challenge yourself, limit limit the, the intervention to maybe twice or three times throughout the whole period of the sixty minutes, um, and put a challenge in yourself and just seeing how efficient you can be getting in and getting out, getting that information to the relevant players and getting it getting it moving forward and. Just a guidance and the general rule of thumb that I kind of use when I'm looking at that stop standstill is 
who am I about to who am I about to um, who am I trying to impact and influence by the intervention I'm about to just make? And in that, I kind of work to a strategy that looks at well, if I've got let's just say ten players to argument's sake, if the information I'm about to give is relevant for maybe six or more, I'm probably stopping it because it's the majority of the group. If it's half the group, I'll identify right. Does everyone need this information right now? If it's less than half. I might start looking at pulling individuals out one at a time. However, I'm also looking at the idea of information and whether it's relevant or useful. Now, useful being everyone can benefit from it in some way, shape or form, but relevant meaning this person needs it right now. So then I, I start to use that as an observational framework myself to identify whether I'm going to step in and step out. Because, you know, I might go in there with a bit of information that might actually be beneficial for everyone but actually does everyone need it at this moment in time is there a dire need for that person to be addressed on this particular point I'm about to make and if it is then you know no problem they'll stop it for everyone but if it's just one or two players that are going to really benefit from this information because it's actually right now they you know it's it's, it's a hindrance to what they're, what they're doing or they're not getting enough success or whatever that might be then I might look to stop just those two or those one that one um, but equally and I think go back going back to your earlier point around looking at it through the you know the eye of correction, if you like, how often do we actually stop the session to highlight good practice and emphasize for the rest of the players actually what we've just seen that was perfect and brilliant or whatever that might be, and that's exactly what we want more of um but I think really importantly within that is recognizing that as a coach if you're about to step in, making sure you know exactly what you're going to say before you do stop it. Because if you stop it too many times or the information is not relevant or useful for the players or you take too long to get your get your information out, I think you're in danger of losing some credibility and engagement from the players as a whole. Um, I'm conscious you've got your hand up. Go for it, man. No, I'm actually so glad you brought that back from um, well, probably five or so minutes ago because you, you said it perfectly about the actually we can praise effort as well, praise the actions. Um, and that could be it as well. So I love that because, again, it just shows that what does good look like or what does great look like? Um, my only thing was on the, I was just thinking out loud on the drinks discussion. So again, linking back to fun maps, F-U-N, fun maps, if anyone wants to read it, Amanda Vizek. Um, and what's interesting with that study, if you're not familiar with it, is she interviewed kids as young as my little boys, right up to high school kids, like teenagers, 18-year-olds, five right up. And what she found was that um, she asked him, you know, with no influence, she said, hey, what what, is pl- what makes fun, fu- you know, playing football fun? Why? And then, the, long story short, the kids wrote down all these things and they were talking to each other and they're like, yeah, that's really fun, but I don't think that's as fun as that. And they end up creating with 82 determinants. And on that, she said to him, hey, um, how would you classify them? And then the, basically they came up with dimensions and they got these 11 dimensions of, you know, ranked of importance. So, here, mate. So uh, I thought that was fascinating because one of those within the fun maps is drinks, water breaks. Apparently, water breaks are fun. <laughs> Who knew it, Yaz? So I think with that one, I'm with you in that. Let the players decide in terms of, um, you know, I always say to them, hey, if you know you're thirsty, go and have a drink. You're managing your own bodies because you know your body's better than me, right? And then that way, if anything, it creates natural overloads and underloads within the activity um, that you're running. But when you do have scheduled breaks, do allow that time for players to have that time. 
because they've said that it's fun for whatever reason, whether it's their time to decompress, whether it's their time to have a little joke, whether it's their time to whatever, they do love it. Um, so I just thought I'd add that in there, Yaz. And then I'd love to, uh, again, there's a lot of rich experience in the room. Tony, if there's thoughts from you, Natasha, Tor, it'd be interesting to know what's going on in your world in Norway. Um, you know, there's there's a couple other guys that I saw, people that are working in the women's and the, the, the grassroots game or the academy or development game. So, you know, there's a lot of rich experiences in the room. You know, if anyone's got any thoughts of how they use this approach, you know, feel free to share. Just while we're waiting for people to come in, just want to clarify on Tony's point. Tony, I think you're spot on. It's, you know, it's very rarely going to be for one person, which is why I'm going after the idea of looking at it as relevant versus useful information because everyone might benefit from some of the information that's given to that one individual. But actually, until it's a fundamental issue for them, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we should hold out um, and maybe not address it for the whole group. But saying that, if you're working on a topic or you're working in a session where that player is pivotal to the session running smoothly, you might need to stop it on that technical issue. So I think it's just, again, everything's in context. Um, but yeah, Dev, go for it, man. Good evening. How are you? You're on mute. Oh, yeah. So I uh, hope you guys can hear me. Just kind of speaking on the whole part whole and kind of how I've used it, I think it's really important for coaches to understand that the whole part, especially if well, the first hole of the whole part hole is used as a, as a way to observe. I think kind of seasons ago where I tried, where I, you first tried, where I first tried implementing it, um, I felt like I fell into the trap of doing the whole for the sake of it. Whereas um, I think, it's almost like a challenge of, or coaches should take it as a challenge of how much information and how much, how many observations can I make, and then bringing those observations into the part to inform how you coach and inform the type of interventions. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it also, you know, if you're looking at the first hole, I think just a I guess a word of advice, at least from my perspective anyway, is use the, you you know, going back to what Gerard said about being intentional with your observations, focus on the topic because, you know, there might be so many different things you identify in the whole that you want to address, but actually then you end up losing sight of what you're actually going after. And I think that piece is really key. I think it's just understanding that, you know, if you're going after a session that's looking at passing and receiving as an example, let's focus on the passing and receiving to start with. But, you know, going back to previous conversations where we talked about the six capabilities, what is it specifically that you're, you're, you're nailing down within that observation? It might be passing and receiving, but is it the movement that's actually let them down? Is it, um, and, and I'm talking about the movement of the players around them, is it the actual the observation of what they've identified as effective um, variables within their scanning process? You know, I think we, we talked about this the other day, Gerard, in, in, about the idea of coaches asking players to scan check shoulders, but actually... How often have we told them what to scan for? And how often do we identify within that what they actually feel they should be scanning for and whether it's actually had an influence on their observations and their, their ability to make a decision. So I think there's so much in there that we can kind of explore. Um, what are your thoughts, Gerard? 
He's still on mute, mate. Go on, Natasha, you go ahead while we wait for Gerard to unmute his mic. Oh, sorry. I couldn't hear it. I didn't realise you were calling me. Say that again. <laughs> no, no, I was just, you know, for me, I think just going back to the point of being intentional about your observations and initial hold and maybe using the six capabilities as an ident you know, to identify where the observation and the intervention might need to take place. Yeah, that's a great shout. Well, you know yourself, there's a lot there, isn't there? We spoke about that on the past one and I'm actually challenging some of our coaches here to, to think about it because it's not something... Can I speak? In the methodology in the US soccer. Um, so, yeah, I think if you focus on movement or positioning or, example, solely focusing on the timing, there's a lot of detail in there. So, yeah, no, I think that helps because it just makes your coaching more intentional, doesn't it? And then for the players, it's, it's just more manageable information to digest. Sorry, Natasha, I don't want to cut across you before I go any further. What, what's your thoughts? Gonna have to unmute yourself, Natasha. Oh, okay. No, my question was for what concerned the war part, or I think what Gerard made as a point in terms of using their players of like the same format you have in the game, because what I've what I've done uh, so far as a Opa all is actually probably what Jared identify as a smaller side of the game. Um, because sometimes you don't have enough player to represent the game as you play in training. So I'm not sure at that point is actually the Opa all will make sense then or if it's a method that is applicable or uh, at that point if you don't have I don't know. We play nine v nine, so if we I don't have eighteen players at training, probably the hope at all is not a methodology that I should use. That's a great question. I can actually add to that and just add some clarity on it. And of course, if your roster size, I mean, even at nine aside, you wouldn't necessarily have eighteen. You'd probably have twelve or thirteen or whatever. Um, what you could do is you can adapt it. Now, this it doesn't mean everything has to be fixed. So even what I'm saying when I'm, and I'm glad you've asked that question because it's really important for clarity. So if you've got an opportunity where you've got 14 players and you can do a game or, or even scrimmage against another team, that could be part of the whole. You can be as creative this as you want. You know, the under 12s over there are, are practicing at the same time. And does that give an opportunity where, that's how we used to do it at Rochdale, the academy. My 12s would play against the, whoever, the 13s or whatever, because we were playing Burnley. Burnley always went 11 aside early for some reason. So that was their preference, whereas we didn't. So then we would play the old, our older team in-house and do an internal game, and that would be 11v11. 11 so it wouldn't mean that I've got 22 players on my pitch, if that makes sense. I think to your point, you've got an excellent opportunity, and whole part whole is relevant to you. So I, I don't know how many players you've got on your roster, but let's say you've got 13 or 14. It doesn't mean you have to do nine aside. Um, what it may, that's one way if you do an internal scrimmage or 8v8 or whatever, 7v7, that could still be fine. But how you design the game to look like their game in that whole picture, the whole concept is the key. So it could be starting with a simple attack v defence and that's okay. So if you play, I don't know if you play a, a one including the goalie, three, four, one, I don't know what your shape is, or if you play, um, you know, I don't know, two, three, two, one or whatever shape you play at your team, but what it is, is that you can literally set up your back players 
in the shape that they're likely to play with midfield and the opposition team on that same group are pressing against them, that's a whole concept because that, that could not only be your part, that could be your whole in terms of they're seeing the bigger game, they're seeing the connection to their bigger game. So it looks like the format and the situations that they like to occur in a game. And then how you could tweak it is the, the part practice could be even a more reduced version of that. So if you're recognising that actually our ability to create movement needs to be better, that's where you could break that down into smaller 2v2s or whatever where you're emphasising the movements off the ball to then put them back into that original practice or something different and it, and it, or whatever. Now, with every practice, there's no restrictions. I don't think you're ever restricted in you can only do this or you can only do that in this activity. Um, actually, it's how do you interpret it best for your players? But the main thing is what's the whole message that you want to get out of it? What's part of that message that we can work for the players? And then how do we connect that back into the bigger message? Does that clarify that, Natasha? Is that helpful? You might have to unmute your mic then, Natasha. I'm sorry, but I haven't heard anything that has been said so far, so I'm not sure what I can say said about that. No worries, no worries. Um, Dev, you had your hand up. Do you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, just uh, kind of a thought I had when uh, Gerald was answering Natasha's question is also, I think, even when we don't have enough players, so I currently coach... Uh, I'm working with a team that play 11 aside. We don't have anywhere near 22 players show up for a session. But when using the whole part whole, um, even if it is a 5v5 or a 6v6, I think it's really important to just embed the principles and then actually ex kind of have that conversation with, with, with the players about actually when you get the ball in this position or what are your penetrative options as an example and then kind of helping them use that information to when they go on and play the 11v11 or, or a larger format. Yeah, I think you're spot on and I think, you know, that's the key thing to remember here is that regardless of what format they're playing and if you've got enough players to get the, get that part of their, or that whole part, whole piece in based on their actual format, every format of the game is asking the players to do the same thing. It's all asking them to score in the opposition's goal and stop the opposition from doing it to them. And I think that's the key thing, right? It's just recognising that the principles stay consistent regardless of what format of the game you're playing in. But the key thing is how much of that, how much of those principles can we get out across it? And then if we look at it as concepts or within the game, I think 3v3, maybe 4v4 is probably a really good format even just to start with because you can still get your height, width and your depth as, far, as part of your principles. So you're really working on the element of getting them to understand how to create space effectively regardless of whether it's a 4v4, 5v5, 6v6 or whatever, whatever other format they're actually playing. The, the messages are consistent and I think that's the key piece. And when you're then talking about it, I mean, you know, the, the FA have now got these core moves, right? It's two or three player core moves and fundamentally those two or three player corners can come out across every format of the game as well and I think it's just the principles and recognising that those core moves are just 
a portion of what's taking place in the larger picture. So I think some great points there. Um, Gerald, I'm conscious of time. No, brilliant points. Well, great points there. And again, it reinforces the message around principles and just does it look like their game? Does it look like their game and what they're likely to do? And I mean, within play, practice, play, what we do over here, um, again, those initial games might be little 3v3s, 4v4s, um, but we'll tend to put them in situations where it relates to how they would play if they were playing 7v7 or 9v9. So that there are certain things where we've... It's probably hard to explain it over audio. It'd probably be better off to share an image. You can do it generic, and it's just a mini pitch. Um, but if you've got access to, you could actually make it more specific. So you're putting players in certain positions or roles that they're likely to play. Um, again, everything should be more principle-based. But yeah, I mean, I think with all this, it's just going back to the principles, the core moves... Developing key qualities of a player, or in the FA's language, US soccer key qualities, FA languages, capabilities. It's, it's creating an environment where players can make decisions and solve problems. You know, that's it. One ball, we tap one end, we defend the other. How do we link it to their game? 100%. Um, I'm not sure if anyone else has any questions or any comments they want to make at this point. Um, but George, maybe just worth reminding them again how they can access CPD and sharing the link to do so. Yeah, so great interactions and I love it. And I think I'll share the link now so that way people can complete that form, complete self-reflection, and then you'll be eligible uh, for up to an hour of the spaces for tonight. And of course, while you've got time, make sure you listen in and tune in to some of the old past episodes. You know, there's a great one. I think one of my favourite ones was the one where we talked about the core moves. Um, and fortunately, I know Paul's on the call today and he was on that one and he gave some really cool insights uh, from his perspective around flow and, and that type of thing. So I think listening to the other opportunities are great. Um, and don't forget, you know, if, you've sat, if you want to access the webinar, um, no matter what license level you're at in your journey, whether you're on the B, whether you're about to start the B license, whether you're on the C, you've got your C, or you're you're looking to get onto the C or, or whatever, um, it's still an excellent course to keep reiterating key messages and, and offer some new insights. Uh, so I would say if anyone's interested in signing up for the webinar, um, reach out to us and we can definitely get you signed up where uh, it's it's on demand now then that opportunity is still available now where you could be eligible to CPD. Um, if you sign up past the date, what Yaz mentioned before, but you still want to watch the webinar, it won't be CPD accredited at that point, if that's what you're looking for. But again, it's a, a great opportunity just to gain some extra learning and insight. 100%. And guys, just a reminder that that link will be shared shortly on the, uh, the, the back end of this chat. And you can access that link to... Well, you can use that same link to access CBD for all the sessions. All you got to do is just make a note of which session you're referring to. Please note that the deadline is tonight at midnight. Those um, that have registered and completed the submission form for the reflections on that, your your details will be passed over tomorrow, um, and then they will be processed. It takes about three to four weeks to process for your CBD to reflect it onto your account. <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, three to four weeks for that to be reflected on your account. If you don't see anything on there by the end of February, please do get in touch. Let us know. Um, and yeah, just make sure you're following us, guys. You know, we've got a range of different series coming up over the next few months, a few more webinars coming up. So anyone that wants to kind of engage in that, whether it's just on an element of just 
developing yourself, getting some CPD hours. Um, if you're part of the English um, FA Association's fan number of um, database, then obviously you can do that. Um, but just use it as a great space to continue connecting with all different types of coaches across different parts of the game um, and around the world as well. So make sure you're following us. Please make sure you stay in touch. Get, let us know your thoughts. Um, if there's any particular topics you want to hear in the future, then please do let us know as well. And then we'll be releasing some information over the next couple of days on the next series for next month, which is going to be a bit of a bit of a different one where we're looking at developing the goalkeeper. So over the next four Sundays, we're going to unpack some insights and share some ideas around how you can develop goalkeepers as part of your sessions um, and, and your programs as a whole. So make sure you follow us, get in touch. And until next time, guys, take care. Have a great evening. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.